0: Welcome back to The Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Tavi Govinson, and today on the show, I'm talking to actress Winona Ryder. Yes, um, you heard that right. I was trying
1: so hard to get them to make like a sequel mm-hmm. because I my whole theory is like, it doesn't change. Yeah. And
0: I was like, it, there's
1: Heathers out there
0: in the real world. And after that, writer Ashley C. Ford answers a question from a listener.
2: As a writer, it's not just your job to tell stories, it's your job to tell good stories.
0: But first, we have Ugoshi and Ogeshi Igonu teach us how to relearn your mother tongue in another installment of Life Skills. If you grew up hearing Spanish or Arabic or Japanese or any other language around the house as a kid but never picked it up or you lost it as you grew up and you've been wanting to relearn it, now is the time. Ugoshi and Ogeshi are here to help you figure out where to start.
3: Hi, I'm Ugochi Eganu. And I'm Ogechi Eganu. And this is Life Skills, where we share tips on basically how to be a person.
4: Today, we're going to be talking about how to start the process of relearning your mother tongue.
3: Both of us are first-generation Nigerian Americans who grew up speaking Igbo.
4: But as we went through American schools and hung out with American kids, we kind of learned that it
3: wasn't cool to speak Igbo and therefore we kind of like slowly forgot our language. A lot of children of immigrants have this experience, and as they grow older, start to feel disconnected with their language, their culture, and their people. Some kids
4: might never have I- even learned the language that their family speaks, which can make you feel super ostracized at family events and other places where everyone speaks that language.
3: After going through all this, we decided that we wanted to relearn Igbo. At this point, neither of us are fluent, but we are... I don't know, like, if you speak slowly to us and, like, you know, yeah, yeah we understand, we understand a lot and we can speak, we can speak some evil. Yeah, we just kind of sound American. Yeah. <laughs> and plus it's hella cool to just be, like, we're bilingual, so. Yeah. So if you also find yourself wanting to relearn the language that your family speaks, here are a few things that we have done in order to start that process. In Number one. Just
4: ask your parents to start speaking to you in that language more often.
3: It sounds super simple, but it really helps to pick up everyday vocabulary that you'll use often. If you live at home, you can ask
4: your family to have a dinner once a week where you only speak Spanish or Vietnamese or whatever language you're trying to learn. And if you live away from your parents, it can be a lot harder to do this, but it's still possible. Yeah, like when you call your family, try to speak with them in your language. It could be as simple as... As greeting them or asking them how they're doing in your language. Like, with our mom, we don't say hi. We say, like, Ole, maru, or something like that. Mm-hmm.
3: Even these small things can help you start to feel comfortable speaking that language. Yeah. Speaking and hearing it, yeah. Okay, well, Number two. Find a community outside of your family where you can hear and speak your language. If you have a group of friends that have the same background as you and speak your language, you can practice with them. If your language isn't super common, like Igbo, that might be a little harder, but it's still possible to find a community. For
4: example, whenever we can, we try to go to this church that actually has the whole mass in Igbo. It's really great because since it's just Igbo, we get to sit down for a solid chunk of time and hear different dialogues and connect to Igbo on a cultural and spiritual level. Mm-hmm. It's
3: also really cool because mass is the same like, in, in in every language, you know, I mean, like, in every language, like, it's like the same order and everything. So if I, if, like, since I go to mass often, like, I'll understand the order of things, you know?
4: Yeah, and then with that, like, context clues, you start to understand
3: the language. Yeah. Okay, Nkeato Tip number three. Do, Do not get, get discouraged. discouraged. <laughs> I hate to say it, but there are probably going to be people that will make fun of you for your limited language skills when you're just starting out.
4: It sucks and it's hella rude, but it's going to happen.
3: Yeah, no I know she has
4: a story yeah I have a little story okay
3: so <laughs> story <time. laughs> so um I remember one time this summer I had done this um, this prayer all in Ebo in church and like I was so proud of myself I bodied that prayer I'm like woo go Jesus woo go Ebo I'm like a niger gal you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> and then like so I thought I'd killed it but then once I got um back to my seat, the priest started uh, making jokes about how I was speaking English Ebo, or um, like basically speaking American Ebo with an American accent. I was clever though. Like- it was clever. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but it was in front of the whole church, and it was hella embarrassing. And like now I can look back at it and like laugh, and like that's uh, that's so funny. But back then I was so angry, and I was like, oh I don't want to even try to learn to speak Ebo. Nobody even like cares that I'm even trying. Like what? Like why am I doing this? Like if they're all just gonna make fun of me, and like. That might happen, like, not specific, like, example, but, like, you might have a feeling where you're, like, why am I even trying if they're just going to make fun of me? You know what I mean? But we're scared to tell you, like, stick with it. Like, you are not learning um, your language for other people. You're learning it to, like, I don't know. Everyone has their own reasons, but for me, I'm learning to become more, like, to like to know my culture more and to be, like, like to be able to, con- to connect with more people, not so I can please someone else.
4: Yeah, and plus, like, we it's just important to remember that listening – that's like when someone is speaking a language that you know like incorrectly you can count ca- it can sound kind of funny you mm. know what i mean and like it's like just human nature to laugh at it yeah. and so like some people take it a little too far and we can be kind of assholes about it but like just keep that in mind like they i mean they, maybe they do mean har- I and mean, people usually
3: don't mean harm they don't mean harm yeah or, like, it, like it, it hurts sometimes but like that's they don't mean anything yeah so it.
4: like as a go she said like do it for you not mm-hmm. for anybody else
3: also, sometimes people might be making like they might think you don't hear them because like, oh, you don't think you speak the language Maybe making fun of you. Um, yeah,
4: like all the aunties and uncles, like they'll say like, oh, America, which is it's like American goat, which is like a way of making fun of first gen kids and stuff like that for like not really being Evo enough or whatever.
3: Like, another good tip is to uh, like learn some clever comebacks in your language next time someone does that so like someone calls me Ewa America I'm like okay aturu Nigeria which is basically like Nigerian sheep you know like yeah. trying to like ooh farm animals <laughs> <laughs> like for all you Igbo kids out there maybe don't say that to like your aunties and uncles Once you're trying to get killed <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like just like try to like know how to defend yourself
4: when you come at them in like in like the language they'll like totally respect you for like ooh look at them you know what I
3: mean yeah like they'll like, they'll be like okay Okay, they'll start to like see that you understand things and you are like willing to learn this and even like you know it's it's fun yeah it's cool fresh
4: connect with your cultures learn that
3: language you got do this. it for you yeah you got this we're proud of you and we're with you every step of the way for sure yeah
4: this has been life, life skills
0: email In ingenti thank you for listening bye That was Life Skills with rookie contributors Ugoshi and Ogeshi Igonu. Thanks so much, you guys. Winona Ryder is best known for her roles in Beetlejuice, Heathers, Edward Scissorhands, Girl Interrupted, and most recently, the sci-fi horror series, Stranger Things. But also, it felt so silly saying all of that because she needs no introduction. When Rookie first launched in 2011, we ran a tribute to her and Winona very generously reached out by email just to say thank you and I support what you guys are doing. Since then, I've had the great pleasure of getting to know her, and while I was over here trying to model my high school experience off of movies she's been in, she's actually the biggest film nerd I've ever met. She's seen more movies than anyone I know and read more books than almost anyone I know. And talking to her is like everything leads to a movie reference, and I learn so much. I got inspired during our conversation for this show just by how passionate she is about the stuff she loves and how that's informed her work for the past 20-plus years. We're going to drop into the middle of our conversation. We were just talking about J.D. Salinger, who she's also an expert on, author of some of my favorite books like Catcher in the Rye and Franny and Zoe. Thinking about, like, my role with rookie as I'm like no longer a teenager and like my life's become very different than it was when I was in high school and I keep thinking about this thing that Janet Malcolm wrote in an essay about J.D. Salinger where she says that like all of his I don't mean for this to be gloom and doom I'm just it's interesting to me but like she's like all of his stories and books have are kind of have this theme that like only other kids can save kids. Adults can't save kids. Yeah. He's, I mean, hes wants to
1: catch them when they, you know, yeah. jump, jumping off the cliff. And I always thought that was sort of, you know, Huckle, Huckleberry Finn, you know, set out to the lighthouse. And then I always felt like they were almost cousins and books. Holden wanted to save all the kids. yeah, And I think... um I had that classic thing where I, my dad gave me the book when I was, like, about 12.
0: Catching the Rock. Yeah.
1: And I had this incredible, like, personal uh, reaction, and I felt like it was, like, written for me, and yeah. he was talking <laughs> to me. And uh-huh. and I, and then the, the following heartbreak of finding out that everybody felt like that, yeah. that had read it, I felt like he, what, what I really responded to was – that he was so full of contradictions and he was so kind of inconsistent and in such a human way how we all are, especially at that age. Not that we really... Mm -hmm. Not that it ever changes, but I I think that feeling of feeling like a ball of of contradictions is really blossoming at that age and in your teen years. And and the fact that the, the girls in his stories... From Phoebe to Sally to to Franny and Esme, like they were. I remember at that time, women like it was. I think I talked to you about this before, but women were. It was either, especially in 18th century, 19th century literature, was like women were girls or Mm. women. There was like that in between phase, just Mm -hmm. like didn't really exist. Right. mainly male writers and with the exception of little women which is yeah. why i loved that book but in and, and salinger really changed that i mean the those girls were like all different yeah. ages and they were so unique and even the girls that holden meets when he goes out and he he meets the three girls at the mm-hmm. place and the and he's like oh there's gary cooper you know and yeah. and the ones like like they're so funny and and uh, Of course, Phoebe is, like, you know, just such an – Phoebe and Esme, I think, are probably two of the – maybe my – and Franny, too.
0: Franny and Zoe was, like, a religious text for me. Yeah.
1: You know, that's how I got into acting school was I – when I was 12 – at this ACT in San Francisco, the American Conservatory Theater, you had to like do an audition, uh-huh. and I just basically read Franny, and like oh I didn't gosh. really act it out. I just was like in a sp- pretend like bathroom stall, uh-huh. and that that's how I got in, you oh. know. <laughs> but but oh yeah, gosh, I really so like much. her her whole anxiety and just everything she's going through. I feel like I've I've
0: been through yeah I don't know what it was at that age that I, don't, I can't I, I know I'm always thinking back on when I was like 11 through maybe uh, now in a way but also <laughs> but particularly like 11 through 15 and I'm like why was I so depressed all the time <laughs> and I'm like there was truly nothing like there was no experience that like would have sent me well I mean saying it now I'm like not to just like give myself therapy but I'm like well there are a few like there's a certain loss of innocence that comes with like suddenly being in an adult world or being like Mm -hmm. known in a public way and kind of like like I was thinking about someone was mad at me because I had written without identifying her I had written about a conversation we had um, and she felt, like, misrepresented, even though, like, it wasn't even supposed to be about her. And I was, like, using it to get to this larger kind of arc in the what I was writing. And I was like, oh, she doesn't get that when I write about her, I'm not writing about her. Whereas, like, right. when I was a kid, I was like, oh, when these people talk about me, it's not me. Right. And that's kind of, like, a, a bummer because you were like, oh, there is so much space between... There can be so much space between like two human beings. Yeah. Wait, We're you like, mean like
1: when people talk about you, they don't
0: they don't really know. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little it, avatar. Yeah. It's like something that right Because it's
1: it this was sort of
0: online,
1: yeah, on line. Yeah, particularly online, on the internet. Which yeah. I didn't experience, you know, I don't think I'm trying to. Rem- I was actually trying to remember when I first got a computer. Yeah. And I know I was in my twenties. Uh-huh. It's interesting that like, you talk about that time, and how you felt, and I feel I, I I felt sort of the same way, but there was no internet. Right. But I, I remember, feeling, like so yeah. misunderstood. Because people didn't, you know, I was picked on a lot. I I had a a really tough time in school socially. Weirdly, I was picked on for doing well academically. Like, it's like if you did, you know. Right. it, it It was so backwards to me. And economically, like, I remember people sort of, if you didn't have money, they thought you were dirty.
0: Uh, like physically dirty. you grow up?
1: I mean, I grew up in San Francisco, and then we moved to like this Mendocino. It was kind uh-huh. of like a commune, but it was it was more like just five families like living on this mm-hmm. beautiful land. And then for my sort of at 12, 11, 12, we moved to this town, Petaluma, which was like 45 minutes north of San Francisco. But I remember being very... Crushed by the things people would say to me and and names you know name like calling at Squirrel, yeah even
0: not, not yeah. in the like the
1: press. Well, it was so different back yeah. then because there was like three magazines, right? You know, and and I wasn't like I didn't do any interviews until I did, had done like five movies, right. and it just was
0: so different. Hmm. You really didn't have to do interviews, I mean... Did you have a sense of, because the way you were describing, like, Salinger's characters and what they meant to you feels to me like how people, uh, like myself or just, like, people I know felt about movies like Heather's. That character meant something to you when you went out for the part, but did you have a sense at the time of, like, how much it meant for, like, like, girls who were seeing that? Well, no, because...
1: I I mean, I remember it was a very low budget movie, mm-hmm. and it was a very, you know, it was one of those movie like the studio closed while we were making it. Oh my god! And so like we didn't even know if it was going to be released. But I, mm-hmm. I do remember, and I've said this before. I, I, but I I remember the audition. I I remember saying to them like you don't have to pay me. I don't care if it even comes out. I had just, I want to say these words, you know, because to me it was just, it was very profound. To me it was like literature and it was, there was this language, there were these references, I mean there was so much going on and I did feel, I did have a experience in, I was in high school Mm -hmm. and I there was a girl at my school that I didn't know that well that had been compl- just tormented, like by she was like a kind of a very early goth girl, like, yeah. and she had killed herself, and mm. all of all of a sudden, everyone was like putting on this whole act that they kn- oh you know like the popular girls who were, tort- who right. were the ones that, you know, and so that had happened literally like a week before I read the script and Whoa. I got the script like on the like from the guy who wrote Beetlejuice slipped it to me and uh-huh. it was like very early on they weren't even casting and I so I was like <sighs> you know to me it was it, it said so much about how Society treats teenagers yeah. and, and how teenagers treat teenagers, and mm-hmm. how, um, but it did it in this incredibly just new way. Like yeah. it was very, I'd never read anything like it, and um, and it was, I mean, it was really one of the best experiences I've, I've ever had. Oh. And I love the movie. I mean, I, yeah. it's like one of the movies I can recite it backwards and forwards. Like, yeah, I think that writer is Dan Waters is, is just, I mean, I put him in, in the list. Yeah. You know,
0: also one of my, like, I think there's just an interview with, with Kenneth Lonergan. He was like, maybe I feel compelled to write teenagers because a teenager can be a good metaphor, at least in a story for a, a half formed person, which is really just an adult. Right. And I feel like, that, that's it's really interesting thing to say. I know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I've always felt like with rookie. Like I'm like that's yeah. that seems to be why like people of all ages like it or something. Yeah. But it's like the like the high the um the hierarchies in high school and like the way power works in high school kind of just replicates itself in adulthood. Oh yeah,
1: I remember. Because I had this whole, I was trying so hard to get them to make like a sequel. Mm-hmm. Because I, my whole theory is like it doesn't change. Yeah. And I was like, it, there's Heather's out there in the real world, and yeah. my whole idea was that like Veronica goes to Washington, and like the first lady's a Heather, and there's like you know, like the, I had this whole oh, thing, now she might be. and and um, <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's like. It does continue. I mean, at the same time, I, I know a lot of people remark on that moment in Bowling for Columbine when the, the South Park guys say, mm-hmm. we wish we could have told those guys. It ends. Right. And I, I do think there is something to that. Like um, people that are just having a horrible time in high school, you want to let them know, like, it it ends. Yeah. You know, it, it does end. But at the same time, it does and
0: like you I know you know so you well you just become better at like you just have more tools in your toolbox for yeah. like dealing with it or like not caring or figuring out where like what is worth the trouble of caring right
1: right exactly I mean I remember really specifically when I was in my late teens I never really. Partook in mean gossip. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the first few times, like, I was this, like, I heard something about me, you know, and I, you know, getting incredibly, like, freaked out. And, yeah. I mean, like, literate, like, your world is coming down because yeah. someone said something or someone did something. And then I remember I got a really good piece of advice. Someone said, unless you're in the room, you don't know what the person said or yeah. what what the what happened. Yeah. And you don't know the context. And 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 I tried
0: to take that with me. Has any of the stuff you liked when you were younger, like especially music wise and film-wise as uh taken on new meaning as you revisit it? Oh yeah. I actually I I find that
1: like pretty much all my well, I would say the best stuff, but I should say mm-hmm. my favorite stuff mm-hmm. is the stuff that you you can reread or rewatch, or you know, and get something new from. Mm-hmm. And I I recently did that with the the Cassavetti's films, and which oh. I oddly saw when I was very young mm-hmm. because like my mom had this projector and she had some weird connection because mm-hmm. she went to like film school in Minnesota and so someone was like sending her film real ah. films, so we would put up a sheet and we'd watch so I was very young when I saw like woman under the influence and opening night and mm-hmm. and but I loved them and yeah. I don't know why because I didn't underst- I couldn't possibly understand and Gloria mm-hmm then i you know sort of discovered them again when i was a like teenager and you know and and then again in my 20s Mm -hmm. and there were there was music that i i don't know why i related to it so Mm -hmm. much because i didn't understand like there's a song here comes Regular" by the replacements which is like completely about alcoholism Mm -hmm. i was like Loved that song, right. and I never had a drink in my life. Uh, and um, I remember, like like all these songs before I was in ever in love. Mm-hmm. All these songs about heartbreak, mm-hmm. and yeah. I would love them. And then you experience what they're talking about, and then you're like, "Whoa!"
0: I know, yeah. Whoa. It's like sometimes a song is so good that it convinces you you've experienced yes,
1: heartbreak. Exactly, exactly. There was a particular song that I remember because I used to really use music a lot in my work. Like I would listen to to it, and to sort of get me into a place. And there was a song called 16 Blue" on oh. this this replacements album. And it, and it was like, your age is the hardest age. Everything drags and drags. And it's like this whole thing about. And it's like, you looking funny. Well, you you ain't laughing, are you? Like it's sort of about like being laughed at yeah. and um, the lies you tell. Your, you know, just it it just captured that sixteen that was, blueness, you know. Yeah. And it and I would listen to it when I was doing mermaids, like all the time. And I Whoa. you know, and it would get me to like this place. And and then you know, there were. I, that I I did that a lot. I mean, there are certain songs that will just, you know, make me incredibly
0: emotional. I think you once told me, like, you f- saw a movie for the first time when you were 12. Or, like, well, did I make that up? No, because I, well, I saw, I remember I saw, uh,
1: when I was little, I, I, threw myself against the screen and was kicked out of a movie theater because it was Fantasia. I wanted to, like, get inside the movie. I didn't understand. Uh, and, like, I hurled myself, and they, like, kicked us out.
3: Oh, but my that, gosh. But I was, like,
1: five or something. Whoa. But then I I don't know if it I think I, I started because, uh, you know, with the sheet thing yeah. and the projector, I started watching them kind of young. But I don't uh, know um, – I didn't have a TV until right. I was, like, 12, 13.
0: What was it about the movies you were watching at that age where you were just like, I want that experience? Oh, my
1: gosh. Like, I think there was certainly I saw a lot of movies about justice that were, like, a. I saw, I remember I saw 12 Angry Men mm-hmm. and I saw... Grapes of Wrath and To Kill a Mockingbird. And, you know, I was so – there always seemed to be, like, a, a kid you could kind of relate to, like yeah. a scout-type character. But I don't know. I mean, there obviously there was something about black and white movies, old older movies. I do remember my mom breaking it to me that they weren't current and <laughs> that, like – these actors didn't look like that anymore, and they yeah. maybe weren't even alive. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like, I was just completely—I I, I was I, I was, crushed. I was in love with William Holden, and I had, you know, pictures on my— I mean, I couldn't believe, and I, I don't know how I didn't know mm-hmm. that. I just didn't really— I didn't have really many friends at school. I didn't really go to – I went – there was one movie theater that played, like, old movies. And, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, I did see, like, Man Who Fell to Earth. And I Mm -hmm. did – so I must have – but I just – I remember that moment when she told me. Because I I think it was, like, something about on the waterfront. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's – Dreamy, you know, <laughs> and she's like, "Well, yeah," but I think there was something—I don't know—it was just there was something about movies that made me—they—they they kind of, so, sort of like Salad. They were became sort of like my, my friends, mm-hmm. and it, it was—it was like how I think it was just magic. And um, I didn't think I could ever do that. That was very. I remember never. I it wasn't. I wasn't one of those people who like wanted to be an actress. Like mm. when I was really young, when I got into ACT, which was like a complete accident because I was like kicked out of school. It wasn't my fault. I like. What happened? I I got, I was like. Well, I was put on home study because I got beat up because I was I I was wearing, like, a this three-piece – I was obsessed with Bugsy Malone. And I was wearing, like, this Thrift Salvation Army, like, three-piece 70s suit. Oh. And, like, I got beat up on, like, the third day of school. And they asked me just to leave. They said I was a distraction. And I didn't oh. have – I would get all my schoolwork on Monday and I would do it all. And my parents – bless them because they didn't have a lot of money but they they wanted me to have friends so they like sort of saved up and they sent three days a week I went to aCT and they would drive I would never have gone there because it was it started at three which mm-hmm. was when school would have ended so and, and that's where like I got discovered but mm-hmm. I remember my first movie which I auditioned for there they were just like auditioning like every 12 13 year old girl um, was Lucas, and it was like a very like my first few movies were very like nerdy girl, or you know, mm-hmm. and I I was very at that time very into Ruth Gordon, and I kind of, oh. she was sort of my hero. So I really thought, oh, I do really love acting, and I mm-hmm. like making movies, and maybe I could be like a like a you know a character, you know, a character mm-hmm. act- actress because at that time it was it was really. Dominated by a very different type of girl, like in terms of leading ladies, and yeah. I was just not. I mean, my it's interesting in the scripts. It's I'm descri- my characters were described as unattractive, <laughs> unattractive, <That's> bespeckled. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was like, but I always thought they were far more interesting, and I was quite pleased with that. And I think uh, Heather's was a real. That was sort of the transition because, I mean, it's like it's kind of old news now. But like I, they didn't think that I was pretty enough. And I went to the <laughs> mall and I went to the Macy's counter and I had them put makeup on me. And I went <sighs> back and, you know, and and in like too If you watch the movie, I am sort of. I'm wearing a lot of makeup. You know, like, oh. I, you know, I they kind of dolled me up. And compared to the other girls, you know, I was sort of different looking. Mm. But, but I kind of, I, I liked that. I think my parents, like, really instilled that sort of, like, individualism in yeah. me, which I really appreciated. So I never felt like, I never got terribly insecure or... I'm ugly, or you know, like I never got that. I was like Ruth Gordon, you know, like that's my that was my Good goal. To be different. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: thank you so god. much. Oh my god, thank you. This was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was my conversation with actress and champion of outsiderness Winona Ryder. More rookie when we come back. Ask a grown started out as a feature on our website rookiemag.com. You send us a question about crushes or teachers or the meaning of life, and a grown-up friend of Rookie answers it. This week we have a question from a listener who's also a writer. We dug through our list of real-life grown-ups and had Ashley C. Ford answer this one. Ashley is a senior features writer at Refinery29. She's written or guest-edited for The Guardian, Elle, Buzzfeed, Lenny, and so many more. And she's also currently writing a memoir. So she's fully qualified to answer this question. This question is from Ursula18 in Toronto, and I have to say we get this one a lot. Mm -hmm. A hearty hello to all of you at Rookie. I live to write, and for my newest story, I have come up with three main characters who I am absolutely in love with. All three of them are people of color. It occurred to me that I wasn't sure how people feel about white writers like myself writing about people of color without being one. My intentions are not to offend, but to bring some much needed diversity to the literary world. What is your opinion on this topic?
2: I personally think that people who are trying to tell stories that are in any way reflective of the real world have to have people of color (laughs) in them like unless you're writing about the Klan I guess Um, if you're writing some sort of Klan love story I guess it doesn't have to have any people of color in it but if you're writing about the real world in any real way um, people of color are necessary because we're here (laughs) everywhere Mm. and all the time so I think what you're gonna have to do if you're writing people of color is you're going to have to work on Um, Making sure that their voices come across authentically because even though people of color absolutely want to see representation of ourselves in media, um, we don't want pandering. We don't want people who, you know, slap brown skin on a white character, you know, and say, well, now his name is Jamal and everything is beautiful and diverse. It's like, you do some research, do your job. As a writer, it's not just your job to tell stories, it's your job to tell good stories, and it's your job, you know, especially if you are a part of you know, the power majority. <laughs> and you are looking to write about, you know, people who are traditionally oppressed or marginalized, yes, you have to do some reading. You have to do some research. You have to definitely read some books that already have people of color in them and make sure that they're books that people of color actually read. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That would give you a hint that this person or this writer has gotten it right or done it right. Um, There's also, and you know, people feel different ways about this, but. There are people who you can reach out to um, to be sensitivity readers. You know, if you're not sure you're writing about someone or a specific experience or whatever that you're not familiar with if you're not sure that you're writing it correctly like there's really nothing wrong with reaching out to people in the writing community hopefully your writing community is diverse um, so you can reach out to them and say hey I'm trying to write this character and I just want to make sure I'm not saying or doing anything offensive and some people will be like you know I'm sorry I can't help you with that but every once in a while there's somebody who's like yes I can help you with that I'd love to help you with that and don't be offended by people who don't want to help with that because it is labor and it's exhausting Um, and be really grateful to the person who does want to help you with that but if you can try to make sure that you're again writing and in community with a diverse amount of people because that will help your perspectives it's really hard to write about what you don't know um, even when you're making it up so it's going to be work. And if you're committed to the work, then I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with you doing that work.
0: That I hope that that helps Ursula and the other people that we've gotten that kind of question from. I hope so too. It's
2: tricky. Mm -hmm. It's very tricky. And I think a lot of people, you know, are so scared of getting it wrong that they won't try. So there's already something you know, like special about the fact that you even want to try. The question is, you know, will you follow through on your commitment to writing that character? And if you can follow through on that commitment and do your due diligence as a writer and as a storyteller, um, I think your writing will be better for it. Like, don't worry about us and our gratitude. Like, that's really, like, not the point. The point is you will be a better writer because you learned how to do this.
0: That was writer and editor Ashley C. Ford answering a question from Ursula from Toronto. If you want some advice, email your question to youaskedit at rookiemag.com, followed with your first name or nickname, your age, and your location. That's Y-O-U-A-S-K-E-D-I-T at rookiemag.com. You asked it at rookiemag.com. And if you'd like to hear your voice on The Rookie Podcast, you can record yourself on your phone or computer asking your question, but keep it to about a minute long and email it to us at podcast at rookiemag.com. That's the show! You can subscribe to The Rookie Podcast on Apple Podcasts and find us at rookiemag.com, rookie.mtv.com, and at rookiemag on Twitter and Instagram. I, your host, Tavi, am on Twitter and Instagram at tavitulle, T-A-V-I-T-U-L-L-E. Plus, check out podcasts.mtv.com and at MTV Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram for more shows from the MTV Podcast Network. This episode of Rookie was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Catano, Kasha Mihailovich, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network. Thanks to Lauren Redding for making the Rookie Podcast happen, and to Lena Singer for picking advice questions. Thanks to Maria Inez-Gull for the portraits and doodles,
1: to Cynthia Merhage for Rookie's logo, to Hattie Stewart for the logo doodles, and to Beth Heckel for the jewels.